You're listening to Malkus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. He uh, makes the time uh, for this program, and I'm really very appreciative of that. And when Ashraf Isub comes on uh, Legal Talk, people, I know all of you are all ears. And Daisy giving me a lovely smile, looking uh, radiant indeed. And uh, you know what, people, when you say honesty is the best policy, is the paradigm of honesty. Uh, my beloved brother, my uh, senior attorney, my bhaijan, my ba. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And tell me, how are you doing this, uh, uh, this uh, uh, beautiful, lovely evening, uh, senior attorney Ashraf Isub? Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Shafat to you and all our dear listeners. Alhamdulillah, we are very, very well this evening. I see the clouds are gathering here in Johannesburg, so inshallah, we will have the promised rain. It's amazing how the seasons almost come on time. I was just looking at the greenery last week, which is now about 15 days into spring. It, Johannesburg turned from brown to green. You know, we live in a, the world's biggest man-made forest here in Johannesburg. And it's amazing the colors that you see. And then soon the jacarandas will be blooming and we'll be in full swing. But it's a beautiful evening, like you say, and the weather is just excellent, mashallah. Mashallah, as you say, the weather is excellent. And you have a knack of pulling me into the noble Quran where Allah says, don't you see when the earth is dry and dead and then we replenish it with rain and suddenly it goes green and lush and the cornfields and the wheat fields, how golden they look, and all these things. And these are favors of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He describes the trees, the birds, the plants. And, you know, how fortunate we are that in the house of Islam, that uh, Ashraf, when we look within ourselves, we see the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When we look around us, we see the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And how important it is. I wonder how many or what is the percentage that do think that deeply and, uh, you know, Jazakallah khair uh, for igniting uh, the spirituality in us, uh, Ashraf. No, you, Alhamdulillah, you know, um, Shafat, just the other day, we were sitting and eating. And, um, yeah, we were eating with a few friends. And it reminded me of a lesson that I had learned from my teacher, uh, the great and late Sheikh Mulkadar, a Sufi. Allah give him Jannah and all those have already passed. But let me tell you what I learned, what he learned from his share. So we were eating some meat and I then happened to reflect upon this sequence of events. So we would think generally, okay, you bought the meat yesterday from the butcher. Now, that was a fully grown sheep, for example, or even if it was a lamb, it had, let's say, I'm not sure as a farmer, let's say it was six months. Now, six months ago, it was born and it was suckling from its mother. But the mother had eaten the grass and this baby had also eaten the grass six months ago. But the grass was not grown six months ago. It was fully grown. So let's say its cycle took another four months. So four months before that, uh, the grass was growing. But then the grass needed one drop of water to irrigate it. And those clouds formed not at the same time that the water dropped, but maybe a season before when the clouds were gathered because there was precipitation in the air, there was cool air coming from over the seas inland and now we had it here. So let's say that was another four months. So the truth is that about 14 months ago, that piece of meat that you had on your table yesterday was written. So that is, that is the chain of how Allah sends the rain to the grass, 
the grass feeds the cow, the cow then gives birth to um, a calf, then the calf drinks the milk, then the cow and the calf are taken for slaughter. So you can imagine, that, you know, we often say that your risk is written, etc., etc. But here's a very, very practical example the next time you look down into your plate and you just think about how the sequence is that that food, whatever it is, has now landed on your plate. It's amazing, isn't it? You know, absolutely. Even you talk about the fish in the ocean, there's, I mean, millions and millions of fish. And if you're having, uh, you know, your, your platter with a bed of rice and you got that king club there, where did it come from? Do you take, you know, every bite you take, do you thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and look at the processes that it undergoes and yours is absolutely brilliant, spot on. Uh, we take everything for granted. You know, the, perhaps a question to ask, Ashraf, is why are we so desensitized to these realities? Tell me. I think, uh, Shafat, we must be uh, aware as well that, um, you know, you know, mankind has gone through a lot. Eh? He is right now, as he was, I think, for all times, you know, you face different cha challenges, right? Um, and perhaps we've, we, we, we've forgotten how to live as a community because, you see, in a community, these things were kept alive. The stories were kept alive. The nasihas were kept alive. You know, people went to the mosque and never rushed back. They always met. Or the Molanas or the community will organize. I know when we were growing up, um, madrasa classes were over, but in the evening there was always a lecture or a guest lecturer or some khatam going on. You know, the mosques were kept alive and active. And I think maybe that's like kind of fallen away, um, particularly in South Africa, because the prevalence of mosques have now increased tremendously and our people have broken out of the townships. The townships, for better or for worse, whether it was Overport or Rudaport or Lodium or Azadville, they kept the community together, you know. They, they, had, they had a lot to offer. And I think as the community grew up and it moved out, that kind of thing also dissolved. So it's difficult for people to go out and self-educate. Therefore, in my case, I would strongly argue for a close relationship with your sheikh or your teacher, whatever you want to call him. My sheikh is always my teacher. Your ustaz, have a close relationship for the purposes of knowledge. And the most important of knowledge is marifallah or the knowledge of Allah. And if you can get that, I think you're doing okay, inshallah. Inshallah, and as you say, to stay on the straight and narrow, uh, especially in this uh, informational, you know, the age of information, and they got the big G there, the Google, everything. No, no, I know it. No, no, okay, you no, know, I can do without him. I can do. But as you said, it's such an important, uh, uh, you know, uh, it's so important for us to have uh, a, a close friend or a teacher or someone that, uh, you know, you trust implicitly that can guide you on the straight and narrow. And, uh, you know, today, perhaps, uh, you know, when we were growing up, as you said, when a guest, uh, Molana, came in, and, yeah, we did have all these uh, uh, guest uh, speakers coming in. And, you know, uh, as young men, we, we, we got very excited. Oh, so, yeah, Molana Abdul, Ismail Abdul Razak is coming in. A certain, uh, you know, scholar from uh, overseas is coming in. He's a top alim. And we, I think, as youngsters, really took to it. And when we liked someone, we went that extra mile. I mean, we wouldn't mind sitting till 10, 11 in the evening in the mosque to listen to that uh, great scholar. And I don't know if you noticed that that scholar will shake the hands of every musalli at the end of his lecture. Unlike today, you know, that's in and out. Uh, Ashraf, your thoughts? Yes. And, you know, not only shake the hands, we, we ran after him. So if you heard him last night and the next day he's in Lenz, then you travel to Lenz. Then he says, the next day I'm in Rustenburg, then you drive to Rustenburg. You know what I'm saying? You could never get enough of a good, educated man who gave you the knowledge that he had and he was sharing it. 
because you knew the benefits and the value of it. But I like our top, like we were saying, you know, what has impacted on people that they perhaps don't have um, this this knowledge. Whereas the internet is also now, Shafat, full, as you say, the big G. It's not just the internet. I mean, it's not just Google, there's YouTube. Then there's this alims that come on TikTok and they give you one minute lectures. And so there's a lot of information out there, but I think very little knowledge. There's a difference between the two. You know, you can listen to something and you can um, you can get information. But to imbibe it and to act on it is knowledge. And then once you have it, I think the hadith is that you've got to act on it. That is the best form of knowledge. Not, not just to take it and keep it, but to act on it. You know, and the Sahaba were amazing, amazing uh, Shafat, you, you spoke of reading the Yasin, you know, the Sahaba used to recite Quran till the late hours of the morning, get up and still fight. You know, I, I heard something amazing that the Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, most of his life was, was in battle. Most of his life was fighting. Uh, very little was for leisure or entertainment. So, you know, I mean, in that, you can imagine how busy they were. Here he is getting what he, he was then spreading it. He was teaching people. He was instructing them how to read Salah, how to make wudu. All of these things came from the Rasul Sallallahu So can you imagine what a busy life he must have had? And can you uh, imagine, Ashraf, how fit he was? to jump on that horse and come off the horse and getting into the battlefield, digging trenches himself, you know. At, 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 I mean, he fought over, I think, maybe 55 uh, battles, uh, Ashraf, if I'm not mistaken, but you can imagine how fit he was and uh, the caliber and the, the type of person that surrounded him. The, you know, the men around the messengers, they, I mean, they were incredible, unreal men, uh, Ashraf. Uh, yeah, look, you know, Shafat, if it wasn't recorded, we would have thought, you know, it, it was a fairy tale, but it's there, it's evident. You know, if the Kaaba wasn't there, you would never imagine what it was. If the Makame Ibrahim, if the Zamzam wasn't there, up to this day flowing ceaselessly, you wouldn't believe in it. But there it is, all of it is there. The hard Quran, the written Quran, the original Quran, the unchanged Quran is there in its pristine form, all the recordings of this Quran and Sunnah is all recorded. And these are the things that make you understand that there was a time of excellence for the Muslims and all of humanity as well. And, you know, we pray Allah brings us back to the pure deen of Islam and makes us once again his valiant servants on earth and vicegerents, you know, that that's... Uh, I mean, that's our hope that uh, we could live a, a, a wonderful, clean, fulfilling and serving life. Ah, you said that as uh, we are the, uh, yeah, the vice chairs of Allah on earth and Alhamdulillah, you know, uh, I read one anecdote very, uh, you know, some, uh, long, long ago, but it's still stuck in my head. Uh, the messengers of God, the messengers of Allah are his ambassadors to mankind. So, I mean, that, that makes so much of sense. And then you look around you, Ashraf, and you see that artificial intelligence coming to the fore in the Holy Land, where robotics and so forth, and, you know, they're going to have sermons on, uh, on, I think, on monitors, on screens, and on your apps. Uh, the whole Hajj experience or the whole Umrah experience soon will be a digitized one. What's your thoughts on that, Ashraf? I guess it was inevitable on, on one level. Um, but it's amazing that you see the age of the machine is upon us. I shudder on the day that they say a machine will lead the prayer because a machine is already reciting the Quran. A machine is already cleaning the haram. A machine is already telling you what time it is for the prayer. There was, there's, there's nothing natural left, basically. 
Now, I don't know if this is a deliberate plot, but, you know, recently they reported that uh, the Saudi authorities had jailed a particular imam or something. I think it's a deliberate plot because the machine won't chat back and it won't do its own thing. So you, you will tell the machine what to talk and you won't arrest the machine. That's just tongue in cheek. But yeah, that is the reality. I, I was quite uh, amused to find that that was the situation there. Um, but the age of robotics, robotics and, and humanoids is upon us. In fact, in Japan, they found that people were so lonely, they created robots just to, just to chat to people. So can you imagine how detached that human experience is, where you now cannot even link up to another human? They also quite horrifyingly offer hugging services where people are hired out to give hugs to people. I mean, it's just, it's astonishing that people, the more advanced we are technologically, the more retarded we are as human beings. You know, we, we, we seem to be losing more and more touch uh, of, of being human beings. Yeah, other people in, in Japan uh, are locked away with their computers for months on end and then they become recluses and they can't get back into society. And you have no use if you're not active in society. I mean, you serve no other purpose if you're just living for yourself and earning and spending on yourself. It's a very, very lonely existence. Uh, I mean, I, th I think the joy in life is to be of service to humankind of whatever it is. Absolutely, you're here to serve uh, mankind and, you know, we need to help each other out. And, you know, Ashraf, the bottom line is, as you said, you know, there's an explosion of uh, scholars. Uh, we have uh, many in the law fields and all that. But uh, generally what happens, you know, when you're in any field, people get to know you. They get to know your caliber, the type of uh, personality you are, uh, your dealings and all that. But uh, no one confronts anyone. But behind your back, and behind you, there's a lot of research being done on all of us. Maybe you and I being researched too. What's this guy's character? How's he with the public? Has he any shady deals and so forth? That's why, you know, it's so important for us as Muslims. You know, uh, you know the, the, the position or the amana that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us. Uh, we should be true to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, true to uh, ourselves. And if we know if someone's investigating us or looking at us, that they can't find anything on us, Ashraf. Talk to me about that phenomena. So as you point out, you know, there are no secrets. You're being monitored, even the show, your telephone, uh, wherever you drive to, what you're buying. In fact, you know, they found that what you even say is recorded on your phone. And uh, they can use that to carry out research on you, good or bad. Um, in other parts of the world, there are things like ring cameras. There was a study that says this is the biggest surveillance network in the world um, where, where these things are gathered. And then you remember that Facebook had also been accused of gathering um, data on uh, humans, uh, on, on subjects and passing it on to the FBI. So I think it's a given that there are no longer any secrets. You cannot have a conversation without it being listened to. But the bottom line, Shafat, is simply this. If you're not participating in any evil, you have nothing to worry about because your first, your, your, your first port of call is tawakkal to Allah, is to have fear of the Creator. That is our start and that is our end. In between whatever challenges you have, be it of a monetary kind or any other thing that challenges your morality, or it's up to you, the choices you make, because I think at the back of our mind, we know we will meet our creator and we will answer. And if we forget, then there's always the very powerful pathway of astaghfar, which we were just reflecting on the other day. In other faiths, if you do something wrong, you've got to go to confession and give pen, uh, you've got to pay for the sins to be absorbed and you have to do a, a few recitations. Uh, but how generous is Allah? You do something wrong now, yesterday, or something you regret in your life, you go, you make two rakats of perfect wudu, 
two records of Astaghfar. Your slate is clean, Shabbat. I mean, how tremendous is that? So when you meet again with your creator, at least your scales are heavier in good deeds and lighter on the other side. Yeah, absolutely. And Ashrafa makes a, a lot of sense there saying that, you know, when uh, you have the relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and, and then uh, you, uh, if you slip, Allah is Ghafur Rahim. And as he said, you know, you make your wadu, read the two rakats and Nafil Salah and ask Allah to forgive you. And Allah says he's Ghafur Rahim. Uh, Ashraf, you know, there's this uh, uh, gentleman, he's, he's actually a multi, he's a billionaire. And I don't know if you heard his advice that he gave uh, to the ANC and he uses the term footsack ANC. Uh, what you thought of that? I don't know if you uh, saw his clip. I think it was a 25 minutes clip I sent you. I don't know if you went through it, uh, but uh, did you ever hear of uh, Rob Herzog, uh, Ashraf? Yeah, I know. I, Rob Herzog has been in the press quite uh, regularly. Uh, in December, he had a birthday party in Cape Town, I think, and he flew in on a private jet. And one member who later on flew in as well to join the party was, I think, a Russian actress. And she didn't have a visa to enter. And when confronted, she then made a false claim for asylum. And the matter had to go to court and she was allowed in. But the Department of Home Affairs decided to stand their ground and say this was an abuse of the asylum system. Cut long story short, she had to apologize when she left the country. She's now banned from the country uh, because she was abusing our asylum-seeking system as well as the visa regulations. Now, the message from uh, the gentleman that you say is quite startling, I must tell you. Uh, I think he said it fearlessly. I think he called out those that of his friends that he felt were not doing the job. And he clearly spelled out who they put in power, both financially and politically. So I think it was really, you know, shooting from the hip. Now, let me tell you quite frankly, if somebody else accept uh, some politicians that we know that always speak like that. Uh, le let's say you went on the stage. Oh, here's a good example. The, Dr. Imtia Suleiman now, he's been critical of the government. Now they're saying that he's biased, etc., etc. So, you know, you could very easily come in the crosshairs of, uh, uh, of the government and you could find yourself very, very unpopular. So he took a lot of uh, courage, but I think he... He spoke with a sense of, sense of confidence that nothing will happen to him. I think that is serious demonstration of where power lies. Yeah, as you said, his Fulus is also talking, being a billionaire, and wants to buy out uh, eight or ten airports that he wants to upgrade and so forth. And he's talking and he's also giving you alternatives. Oh, this will be the president. Uh, he's got high respect for Nalidi Pandor. And uh, yeah. a few other people. I mean, I, I mean, you know, you and I, we Muslims, so we feel that, <laughs> yeah, okay, he's acknowledging a Muslim there, uh, but uh, he's also got a very high regards for Tuli Monsela and so forth. But uh, moving on, Ashraf, getting into our topics, legal requirements for starting a business in SA and uh, much, much more. Whereas uh, the gentleman was telling us, hey, hey, it's not the right time to start a business in this country. It's not the right time to have your kids here. If you can afford it, send them overseas. And, you know, start moving out and doing this and that, only when this uh, whole thing. And, you know, he had the gall of the guts to go and tell Sul Ramaphosa, you are a disgrace to government and it's a, uh, you don't know what you're doing. It's a, uh, just resign, save grace, or just resign. And, uh, you know, all that. But, uh, you know, it's easier said than, uh, than done, Ashraf. That's the bottom line. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's the politics of our country and I guess everywhere else in the world. Um, very interesting, deep topic, but I think for another day. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's it. And, uh, and you know, there's so much we can talk about how the Queen and about Britain and our Prince Java. We don't get into that. Looking at uh, the topic, uh, legal requirements for starting a business in SA. And uh, who better than yourself, Ashraf? You know, many come to you, you have helped many 
immigration, immigrants, and so forth. Talk to us, Ashraf. Yes, so it's interesting when we speak about the legal requirements of studying a business. Um, one of the important things they say is choosing a business structure. So let's distinguish between a sole proprietor who does a business in his own name. For example, um, uh, ABC fruit sellers. So it could be Abu Bakr Chotia fruit sellers. In that case, Abu Bakr Chotia. Sorry. Uh, yeah, okay, yeah, people, as uh, we know, Ashraf is uh, very busy and he needs to keep his apps on because he told me uh, uh, immediately uh, uh, during the show he'll be getting a, a very important call and uh, that call will be coming from uh, uh, the uh, neighboring country or sometimes overseas. So, you know, he deals with the matters in uh, uh, countries like uh, Turkey, Saudi Arabia and so forth. So, uh, yeah, I gave him that uh, uh, the allowance of that because because he takes the time to be on our show all the time. So, Alhamdulillah, really lots of thoughts coming through talking about, uh, you know, our spirituality, talking about how uh, we read uh, into uh, the different uh, scenarios and different things that take uh, place around us and how important to have your integrity, how important to have your, uh, you know, your, 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 what do you call your scruples in place and your iman, your taqwa. You know, as Ashraf said, if you speak the truth and you do good and you're honest, then you've got nothing to worry about. You know, if you're not lying, you don't have to speak another lie and another lie. A truthful person is always, you know, surrounded by the angels. He's surrounded by, uh, you know, the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he's surrounded with confidence. He's not that type of person that will duck and dive. He won't be that type of person that will be looking over his shoulder all the time. So it's important for us in the house of Islam uh, to always have that, uh, you know, the, the, the confidence of being someone that is truthful and always be truthful. And if people look at you and, you know, try and get back and try and win back uh, the confidence that non-Muslims <clears throat> had uh, with our, 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 our forefathers. Just because they had a topi on, they said, no, that man will never lie. That man is truthful. And if that uh, Muslim came to the court with his topi on, hey, hey, he won the case already. The judge said, no, that's a Muslim and he's not a liar. Ashraf, have you taken that important call? With, uh, Ma, I know it's yeah, not, uh, it's not, it's, it's not, uh, not Prince Charles, but <laughs> I don't want to reveal the, uh, the, the, the uh, sheikh that found you from uh, uh, Dubai. I won't give you that. I know who it is, but uh, go ahead, Ashraf, uh, talking about our topic, uh, yes. the business, you know, and uh, legal structures. requirements of starting a business in SA, Ashraf. Go yes. ahead. So the business structures are, as I've explained, sole proprietorships, partnerships, or legally registered legal entities. Partnerships exist between two natural persons, and they can, two or more, and they can join together for the purpose of a particular venture or unlimited ventures. But there again, the partnerships and the partners are responsible for the business in their personal capacity. There is no division between their assets and that of the business. The same with the sole proprietor. Now comes this new, new kind of human being, the um, fictitious human being, also known as the company. Now, as you know, the origins of this was in the Netherlands, the Dutch East India Company was the first company registered on the face of the earth, and it cut between the shareholders as well as the company. It said the shareholders holds the share, but the company is the owner. It's quite amazing. It's a, it's a legal fiction, but that has now, as you know, morphed into uh, public companies, uh, limited liability companies, and what we had in the old days was close corporations. The principle is the same. The company is owned by the shareholders and owes a responsibility to the shareholders, but the shareholders do not necessarily run the company. It is run by a board of directors. And 
the directors determine the route that the company is taking. So one of the greatest benefits they say for that was that there is limited liability of the shareholders. However, there are instances where the courts have held that they're going to pierce the corporate veil. That means they're saying while there's a veil between shareholders and directors in the company, at times they will pierce the corporate veil and really go behind that veil to see, but you know, the company is abused by the shareholders. Therefore, the shareholders themselves cannot avail themselves of the division between them and the company. And at times when the corporate veil has been pierced, the judges have found that the shareholders were liable for the activities of the company. You might find a few examples of this recently in the press. I think there were more than one charges against a particular family from Lodium. Um, the SARS um, case against them was widely publicized in the press. And I think there they were saying that the amount of cars that the people had in their names and in their names of their mothers and fathers and uh, was, was basically a, a case where you had to pierce the corporate veil to see who was behind the company in order to see how the company was operating and, uh, uh, and the benefits. So, so it's, it's quite strange, right? This whole corporate veil and this company separation from its shareholders in that when people do well or when the company does well, right? Uh, or when people, when, you know, they, they now drive the fancy car and, and they say, hey, that guy's he's made it, right? So then they say, hey, that is the man. But when the company does badly, they say, oh, it's a company that liquidated. Mm -hmm. They don't attribute that to the um, particular shareholder director. There was, so, so it's important when you distinguish this because not so long ago, maybe 20, 30 years ago, we had the case of the Islamic Bank becoming insolvent and liquidated. In that case, one of the people, one of the claimants pursued the director in his personal capacity and actually won. The direct, one of the directors of the Islamic Bank was taken on. It's a widely publicized judgment. You can have a look at it. And he actually won. And then he went to attach the assets of that company director at his house with two super links on a Friday afternoon after having got judgment. Unfortunately, the claimant didn't know you have to wait like 24 hours before you can execute on a warrant of execution. Be that as it may, there was a practical example of where somebody tried to hold, especially the Muslim uh, director and the Muslim depositor, the depositor said, I'm holding you liable in your personal capacity, and these are the reasons. And the court sided with him. So just to be clear, there isn't in the um, Islamic law of business transactions a fiction of a company. You are who you are. You're responsible for your debts. Your debts don't prescribe. You are liable for it for all times. And if you can't, well, as a debtor, you may request an extension of time for payment, but you are not absolved by the creditor or by a fictitious uh, detail like the company. So it's important now when you read, when you when you're choosing your big your business structure to actually examine that. Then registering your business name. Now this is uh, undertaken by the companies and internet intellectual property. Commission, uh, CIPC in Pretoria. So the way that they do it now is when you're registering ABC uh, wholesaler, you got to go and reserve that name. So what the registrar now does is if there's any similar name or trademark registered, he will refuse you that name. So you got to register seven names and once a name is approved, he will give you the official documents to fill out and you pay a registration fee 
And the next day you have a company and in the company documents, it'll say what the registration number is, name of the company, uh, registered office, business office type of business, and then under directors who the directors are. So then now you're ready to do business. ABC wholesalers can now trade as uh, XYZ Motors. So the trade name always indicates who the owner of the company is. So you can say trading as such and such. Very important to note, Shafat, in terms of the Companies Act, as well as the Closed Corporations Act, that any piece of literature, which is a public document, including a vehicle, must bear the full name of the company and the registration number. If those things are missing and let's say the vehicle is involved in an accident, well, you're going to find yourself at the short end of somebody coming to claim from you in your personal capacity, saying to you, well, you haven't complied with the Companies Act. So that is a very important consideration. And then uh, statutory requirements, obviously, if, they, if you belong to a particular industry that requires, say, uh, road transportation permits, well, you've got to make sure that you get that. Other statutory requirements is if you're doing a delivery business, you may have to make sure that you carry extra insurance or that the vehicles are roadworthy at all times. And then, of course, SARS comes in. You must, if you're importing, exporting, you must get an import-export code. You must get a VAT registration number. You must get um, a SARS registration number as well. Then typically people will take out an insurance of one or other kind against whatever loss, fire, theft and arson. Now, you know, recently with the floods, people found themselves without public life, uh, without insurance covering subsistence of land and uh, natural disasters. So some of them found themselves to be lacking in that. In other cases, remember with the riots and things that we had last year, uh, <coughs> they found that they didn't have insurance against riots and the Sestria cover wasn't enough or Sestria was so overwhelmed that they couldn't pay for that. So these are some of the things that um, you would take into account. Opening a business account, bank at the bank is inevitably involved because we're heading towards a cashless society. A lot of the transactions are done through credit card or EFT. So in that uh, regard, a bank account is essential to receive payment, make payments and keep a record of all expenses, uh, incoming and outgoing. A lot of people consult with full-time accountants who do these things, they form the company and then they act for, your, for you uh, every month of the year of the year and then once a year they will file your returns and they will make sure that your VAT is paid. Remember some of the other statutory requirements Shafat, if you have employees is COIDA and UIF. Um, UIF is a portion of the unemployment insurance fund that has to be taken and kept uh, and paid to the, uh, uh, the commissioner for unemployment insurance so that if there is a downturn and the person hasn't been able to work for a while, then he can claim at least 60% of his uh, salary bill uh, for six months. Then you, of course, you have pension funds that are very important because it's also a kind of a saving. It's also a tax write-off. And COIDA, which is occupational health and injury um, um, uh, funds. So when you're injured on the job and certain jobs are quite hazardous and dangerous, um, then at least you can claim for workman's compensation. You can't claim for both, you know. Um, and then, of course, some people um, are faced with the prospects that they have large numbers of people, employees, and then the unions will move in. They want to unionize the majority of them. And that is an additional expense 
against the business, but it's also a statutory requirement. And as we know, if there's labor disputes, it goes to the commission or the um, CCMA or the bargaining council. So these are some of the general structures that that you will have around when you're starting a business in South Africa. Uh, they're quite onerous, but quite important. And I would suggest that you pay careful attention to it uh, because there are benefits definitely for that. Remember also, a company is recognized for its BE contribution and status. That's very important for big businesses or conglomerates doing business with the BE entity, which they have to prove ownership of and the certificate that goes with it so that they can earn BEE points in turn. And then, of course, BEE registered companies are usually uh, looked at first in the event of tenders. I hope that is given a brief but detailed um, summary, Shiva. You know, I like what you said also, but uh, what's getting to me is, uh, you know, you talk about unions and it seems as if, uh, you know, the unions are there for subscription and so forth. But, uh, you know, it is said that the unions uh, today, I mean, uh, there's so many of them, they, 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 they are not united, they're fighting amongst themselves, but the unions are putting, uh, you know, unskilled labor um, uh, out of the market. I mean, they, 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 what they're doing is for unskilled labor, they, 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 they want uh, a salary that uh, doesn't befit uh, that type of skill so that the unskilled labor, laborer is uh, not getting jobs anymore because the companies are being uh, threatened by labor. If you don't do this X, Y, and Z, this is what we're going to do or we're going to strike and so forth. Mm-hmm. What's your thoughts on that, Ashraf? So, Shafar, I think it's a reality that we live in a capitalist system and a capitalist world. So, Karl Marx made a, a study into this and obviously he found that he who has capital basically rules. And conversely, he then said, power to the people. And uh, the only thing that the people had as laborers was their labor. And if they withheld it, well, the capitalists couldn't earn. And so over the years, you found various responses to this. But to be fair, um, Joseph Matunja, who gave a lecture about three or four weeks ago, was very forthright about the contribution of the Afrikaners to the wealth of South Africa and its creation and how that has been taken away. So not all unions are driven by the same agenda or just wanting to take money from their membership and not pay them and uh, act unreasonably when it comes to bargaining and wildcat strikes, uh, as we saw last week uh, with Patco here in Johannesburg. So all of these things have an interplay and an an exchange about. But predominantly, you must understand that we don't live in a environment that uh, we, you know, has has leveled the playing fields. Uh, I mean, it's a vicious environment, uh, the capitalist system, and uh, there's no getting away from it. That the one with the highest advantage is the one who controls the money. So the only, uh, you know, fallback position, like I said earlier was the laborers would say, well, we only we have nothing else in our bargaining uh, bag but our labor, and so we will hurt you. And and and, and so they, they come to a head, you know. They, they ultimately end up negotiating on an increase, and then they go back to work. It doesn't fundamentally change the system that is at play. Contrast that to the Islamic system, where to, even Khaldun said, to employ a man on a salary for the entire life is unnatural. Now, the Islamic way, if you recall, the Prophet was a merchant and he was chosen by a CEO, his uh, wife, Sayyidina Khadija. She was the CEO of her own company. I mean, she was a trader, deluxe, and he returned a handsome profit. He was very, very astute as a business person well-liked, trusted, but there was a system of empowerment because she then wanted to marry him. And she then gave all her wealth in the cause. The Sahaba themselves were very wealthy. Uh, Said Osman Ghani was known for his tremendous wealth. 
they say that Sayyidina Umar, when his uh, last camel was leaving the gates of Egypt, the first one was already entering Medina. What I'm demonstrating to you was you need able-bodied business people, you need the successful businesses to keep societies going, employing people, but employment is only one kind of option. What they're looking at is empowerment, and empowerment comes through partnership, the Mudaraba contract where one partner gives the labor, one partner gives the capital, and they share. So you can see that the system itself that Islam created was very uplifting and there to fulfill human needs, to take, to take them from zakat uh, collectors to zakat payers, to contribute to the Baitul Mal and everything else. Absolutely brilliant there, Ashraf, and uh, you know, bringing in a point of uh, Khatija Raja Anha, where she uh, empowered Nabi Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and uh, you know, as you said, he was an astute businessman also, and uh, Dawa and uh, business uh, goes hand in hand, and it are uh, many good businessmen that do help uh, Dawa organizations to, and you know, to uplift the Ummah with the wealth that they are given, Allah bless them all. And uh, finally, Ashraf, one more question, uh, you know, I'm thinking about, uh, you get a uh, uh, brothers coming from Pakistan, from Bangladesh, from India, and they open businesses here. Uh, you know, uh, what are the protocols? Or what type of protocols do they, as foreigners, follow in this country to open up business, uh, Ashraf? So nobody's exempt from um, the law, but you you will recognize that an asylum seeker who is not yet recognized as a refugee is given freedom of movement as well as trade. He can open any business, either in his own name, in partnership, or in a company. And he can trade and do whatever else. The law doesn't expect him to break the law, which is that he doesn't pay VAT, or he doesn't pay his uh, staff properly, or that um, he withholds tax. The law doesn't expect him. I think policing is a very, very big problem there. Now, it's not unknown that a lot of the foreigners come here earn because they find South Africa to be an absolute gold mine and then export their money through various things, including Hawala, back to their countries of origin and sustain and support a lot of people back there. This is not surprising. It's even happening with the Zimbabweans that are here that are earning and keeping uh, the fires burning back home through repatriation of capital and goods. So on one level, my answer is that you're not exempt. On the other level, you're extremely, extremely well rewarded by a generous system that has very, very little regulatory uh, uh, requirements, Shafat. I mean, you can, you can walk anywhere and you'll see the health and safety, health and sanitation safety uh, inspectors are not there. The Department of Health and uh, Fire is not there. You know, people open all kinds of restaurants, all kinds of uh, different places with very little regulatory, let's say, uh, you know, uh, problems. Yeah. So I think they're very fortunate to, however, I think the law has changed now. So here in Gauteng, they've passed a legislation that says, only South African citizens may run spaza shops in the townships. That is a big, big step. Secondly, only South African citizens with a South African ID may operate certain kinds of businesses. So you can see they're squeezing out slowly but surely the foreigners from the townships as well as from other areas in order to make sure uh, that those opportunities are available to South African citizens only. So I think you're going to see a lot more businesses folding, a lot more communities like the Somalis and Bengalis are not being able to trade in the townships especially, and far outlying areas, not just townships, country towns, middle of nowhere. You're driving in Venda and all of a sudden you'll see Ali supermarket, you know, and behind that is a little house and Ali and his family are living there and running almost a 24 hour spaza shop. I mean, 
I, I don't say that the South Africans can't do that, but I think the one advantage that foreigners have, wherever they come from, Shafat, they know how to trade. That I can tell you. They know how to look for business opportunity. I've seen this many, many times multiplied. That that is what they do. They identify an opportunity and they go for it. I think in the past you've spoken about the five very cheap things that they've introduced: haircuts, biryani, CDs and DVDs, uh, tailors, tailoring, and uh, what else do they do? Uh, yeah, some sometimes you'll find like here in Fordsburg Square, clothing also ridiculously reduced. So they've play, played a, a, a contribution in bringing down the prices. You can compare the prices before South Africa went, uh, you know, was opened. And prior to that, these were, a lot of them were expensive icons. Eh? So they have a positive contribution as well to make. Ashrafa, absolutely brilliant. And uh, uh, they're also the success story of uh, quite a few millennia uh, that have come about. Uh, you know, with them dealing here in South Africa amongst the Pakistanis, amongst the Bangladeshis. But that's for another day. Ashraf, you were, mashallah, really enjoyed your input this evening. Perhaps your parting words before I let you go. As always, Shafat, thank you once again for the opportunity. And, um, you know, the organizers, yourself as the host, and, uh, you know, our listeners as well for giving us their time and uh, attention. It's uh, refreshing to note that uh, you have such a large, large audience and that they readily look forward to all your shows. And of course, you for putting so much time and effort into it. Uh, I see that your uh, project is belongs to the Capital Group, whoever they are. You know, Allah bless one and all of us and you, your families, our listeners, dear listeners, their families, the people that made this possible. And always remember that uh, the the power of the Yasin and continue making it for, you know, everyone that we know, as well as the Ummah. And we ask Allah to bless everyone and keep them safe. I mean, uh, to that Ashrafa, you have a blessed evening ahead. We will talk to you soon. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Time for us to go for the Isha Azan and inshallah we will continue after that.